0: Well, hello again. What a wonderful thing it is to see your smiling faces this morning. And for those of you online that can't see you, but we know you're smiling, so we're good. There. This is a bread box, and we'll get to it later. Okay. It really would be something, wouldn't it, if I could put into words what's true about how life works, and then if I could, like, write a tune for that and then I could take it to New York City or Nashville, and I think it'd be the mother load. I think it'd be big money if we could do that. Well, Psalm 139 is that. Psalm 139, of all the 150 psalms that are in this book, Psalm 139 captures the intimacy, and as my friend John Mel would say, the intricacy of our relationship with Almighty God. So, we're going to read some of it, and I'd like you to join me in reading it together. Here's this singer-songwriter by the name of David, who goes on to be a warrior and a king, but this is how he writes the words. Why don't you just read it out loud with me, okay? Here we go. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you Lord know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. This is this is a close-up personal God. And by the way, Psalm 139 is one of my favorite that has all these themes. You could spend a year, you could spend 52 weekends on Psalm 139, just taking the pieces and the themes and the feelings and working with that. But he says you, I, me, and my a a bunch of times just in these first six verses. This is not a disconnected God. This is not a a God who treats us like a wind-up toy and say, okay, there you go, you're on your own. I'm going to go over here and lay on the beach and eat grapes, whatever. This is not that God. This is the God that is fully engaged with us. So my first thought is to be known by God Almighty is unbelievable. To be known by God Almighty is unbelievable. Perhaps to be known is the greatest quest that we have in our whole lives. I, um, this word know is used a bunch of times in the whole psalm, and it means everything from Hi, how are you? Or I kind of know that person. All the way over to an Adam New Eve, which is sexual relationship. That's how that word is used. But I've often wished when I read texts like this that I had a Bible with inflection or emphasis. How do, he says, God, you know me. Is it God, you know me? Or God, you know me? Or You know me, I don't know how it, you know, I don't know how it sounds, but to be known can be frightening when you think somebody knows something about it. You've heard me say this before. I was a church kid. I was brought up in church, in those kind of churches where you go to church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and if you're 13 years old, that's a killer, I'm just saying. And I'm sitting back here, and I'm, I'm doing my artwork on the back of an offering envelope. I'm drawing bombers and jets, and, and I'm checking out the girl across the aisle, and the preacher says, God knows what you're thinking. I go, whoa, and it's too late. He already knows, and he didn't vaporize me. I'm still here, okay? So to be known can be frightening, but to be known and still wanted is great, all right? To know that God knows can bring me comfort. To know that God knows brings me comfort. In a few weeks we'll be remembering September the 11th, 2001, what we commonly call today 9-11, the most significant attack on American territory in hundreds of years. I was at a breakfast a mile north of the Pentagon when that happened, and when the plane went into the Pentagon at 350 miles an hour, two things happened. One, you either, you either walked away or you died. At the end of the week in Washington, D.C., only five people involved in that moment were still alive, and one of them was Kevin. Kevin was a young Navy officer, and at that time, I had a friend that I'd known for some years who ended up being the head of the Navy. Some of you know his name, Admiral Vern Clark. And he was just around the corner in the Pentagon from where that plane went in. They came for dinner a couple of weeks later. And when they got to our house, we lived in a little cottage uh, in Falls Church, Virginia, about 20 minutes from Capitol Hill. When they got to our house, he was uh, they were... Quite sober, They said, uh, Kevin, our young friend who got badly burned but is doing better, uh, we just got a call and all of his organs are shutting down. So our, our dinner that night was rather sober. The end of the time, we were in our little kitchen and I said, why don't we just have a prayer for Kevin? And we just joined hands there. And this is kind of how the prayer went as I remember it and as Vern recalled it to me, that we just joined hands And I said something like, Lord, you know. I don't know what's going on here. You know. And we don't know what your thought is about Kevin, what's going to happen. But if it's all the same to you, we'd like to keep him. Amen. I'll tell you about the other part of that in a few minutes. But there's something about Knowing that God knows, that's a huge comfort. There's something about him knowing where I am that's a huge comfort. Listen to this, or read this with me. Again, I'm asking you to read it with me. I like listening to you read, okay? It's fun to do this together. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If If I'm dead in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Here's the God who knows where I am and knows where I'm going. The God who knows where I am and knows where I'm going. Uh, In our trajectory, Ruth and mine, in our life together for the last 58 years, we've gone a lot of different places and some of the places that we went, we thought we were supposed to go there, but the Lord said no. Some of the best moments in my life when somebody has been when somebody says no. For example, when we were in our early 20s and I had been brought up in India as a missionary kid, I thought I was supposed to go to India. You know, I could even imagine it in the clouds. I, I think I see an eye or, you know, one of those You know how you do stuff like that. <laughs> And we ended up, they said, you can't go to India for this reason right now. And the people who would be sending us said, no. And I was a little ticked. Have you ever been a little ticked when you get a no? I was a little ticked. And we ended up going to Illinois to do a church plant at the University of Illinois. And it turned out to be 12 of the greatest years in our lives because God said no. See, I thought the I meant India. Obviously, it meant Illinois. So I'm just putting that out there for you. But this text says it's impossible to get away from God. If you imagine God with these arms wrapped around the planet, there's no place you can go that he is not. Now, theologians use big words like omniscient and omnipresent, all-knowing and everywhere. I just say he knows stuff and he's everywhere. So that's where we're going with that thing. So the question is this. How can God know me that well? How can He know me that well? Well, here it is. Three words God made me. He made me. He's the great maker. If there's a pivotal passage in Psalm 139, and I'm not going to read all the verses in Psalm 139, <clears throat> if there's a piv- pivotal passage, It's 13 and 14, those verses. This is how it reads. Let's read it again together. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Would you say that phrase with me one more time, fearfully and wonderfully made? Here we go, out loud, just give me a good one. Here we go. Fearfully and wonderfully made. I, I said this when I started, when I was studying for this. I said, Lord, help folks to walk away. If they're going to walk away with a tagline, because I know, I know this is true about me and about you, that most of what you're hearing right now, you will forget in 24 hours. It's a little discouraging, but I'm just saying, all right? But I'd like us to remember the heart of this. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Some of you have heard the phrase, well, that thing's both art and science. <clears throat> it's, not just, it's not just by the numbers. It's not just cut and dried, and you can predict it. But it's got this other piece to it that's sort of art. Well, art means skill or craft. Science comes from what I know, what I've discovered, what I've tested. So the scientific method has to do with things that we can count and calibrate Art is a much different thing. This is about fact. This tends to be about feeling. And the maker, God the maker, the creator, holds them both in his hands, both knowledge and skill. So we we sang this morning about the God with the galaxies and the moon and the stars. Well, he made more than that. I mean, he made like the Rockies and Horsetooth Peak and he made flowers and he made animals and all of that. But the best thing he made was this. That's our eldest great-granddaughter, Emma, a couple of years back. You might think she's feisty, that's true. She's also very smart, of course, all of your grandchildren, those of you who have them, they're the most brilliant people in the world, You know, you know this, and so, Just a year ago or so, I was talking to her, and I like to make duck sounds with the kids. You know, I like to talk like that, and they kind of respond to it. So I made that sound. I said, what is that? She said, a duck. I said, how about, it's a chicken. I said, how about this? She looked at me. I said, that sounds like a pig, right? (laughs) She looked at me sober as a judge and said, not quite. So, humans have their problems, I'm just saying. <clears throat> so, when we get to this passage, I think of my friend Dr. Bob Homburg. And he's a scientist par excellence. He's a physician. But when we talk about this stuff, he, he knows so much and I don't know hardly anything about and I'm not good at either science or what we call the fine arts. I'm not, you know, you're looking at a guy who got five units of D in chemistry at Cal Berkeley, my freshman year. So you don't want me as your doctor. And in, in art, you know, I'm sort of stick figures. But the point is this, he calls this the biochemist song. So we've had long discussions about what the human body is like and it's it's a marvel. So I'm going to say that the human body is a marvel and let's do a response and you say fearfully and wonderfully made. Here we go. The human body is a marvel. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Beautiful. We're going to do that a couple more times. Let me tell you, I mean there are thousands of things we could talk about. Let me tell you just two things that bring life. One of them is that pump inside your chest called a heart. Three quarters of a pound, and all things being equal, it will serve you for 70, 80, 90 years. Now, some of them have a little gizmos that are wrong, but generally that heart. And that thing beats about 70 beats a minute. So you're sitting there, and unless I say something dramatic, so it goes up, you know, it's going to be about 70 beats a minute, my whole talk. By the time you walk out the door, your heart, without you thinking about it, will have beat, beat 2,000 times, okay? So your heart is this wonderful three-quarter pound thing that lasts for decades and decades. And you say in response... It's getting a little ragged. We need to pick that up. When we? Can. Okay? Let me talk about the other thing that brings us life and i'm just going to talk about these two things your body has 37 is comprised of 37 trillion cells i can't get my head around that 25 trillion of them are these things called red blood cells those are the things that go and pick up oxygen from the lungs which is life and takes it to all of every cell in your body every day every minute of every day these these cells, these 25 trillion cells of red blood cells, are buckets, my friend Bob calls them, are taking life. And what they do is they bring life to every cell and take away the trash. So they are both the milk delivery guy and the waste management per- that, That's what those cells do. And you said... And it's quite a trip, because your body on average has 60,000 miles of blood vessels, your circulatory system, and Bob looks at me <laughs> and says, you may have a few more miles than the other people, but just because, and, and so let's say 60 to 80,000 miles. He said, it's like an interstate system. you got the, the big interstates, and then you got county roads, and then you've got the little city roads and the surface roads, and you got bike trails, and you got walking paths, and every cell in your body gets this life brought to him that way. And along the way, there are some other little flakes called platelets. This is all the science you're going to get. Please don't ask me a question beyond this because this is all I got. Platelets are microscopic flakes. you got a trillion of those in you. And uh, they are the road maintenance crew. They float through your bloodstream and they patch the holes. That's what they do all day long. And your body doesn't work without this thing called proteins. And these little flakes have, because every cell has protein in it, and these little flakes have 300 proteins in them. You can't even see 300 proteins. And scientists know what 10 of the 300 do. So we know a lot, but we don't know everything. But we have a God who knows the whole thing. And I would say that is... I love this. We need to do this more often. Here's the last thing. As as you're sitting here, your body is a production engine. You are producing 2.4 million red blood cells a second. Just sitting here. 2.4 bl- million blood cells, red blood cells a second. You just did it. You did it again. There it goes again. Bam, there it goes again. And and platelets are like, <laughs> you said, really? I, I came to church to hear about Jesus, and I'm hearing about red blood cells being. Pretty. Well, Jesus gets it. This is the God who speaks galaxies into existence. This is the God who makes us fearfully and wonderfully. What a creator. I wanna talk to you about creating for a few minutes and I've asked a couple friends to join me. This past week I sat with two folks that understand what making and artistry is about. Barb Melby is an artist. Now, she doesn't make her living being a painter or something. She's retired now, but she made her living as an early childhood education teacher. If you want to see art, go to a preschool. And so for decades, she has done that, but in her own right, she's an artist. And then Mark Baustrad is also an artist, but he's a general surgeon and a plastic surgeon par excellence. his uh, skill, one of his skills over the years was was repairing cleft palates in babies. And so I sat with him, <coughs> excuse me, I sat with him for a half an hour this past week. And this whole conversation, a 30-minute conversation, will be on a website. You could go to dickfoth.com and it'll be there, or you can go to the Timberline website this coming week and it'll be there. So that's a 30-minute. We're just taking a few clips to show you. But... I asked them the question about creativity. We are creator beings. This is what they said. When I say creativity, war, mm-hmm. what comes to mind? What do you think?
1: You know, I think probably a kind of a whole list of words, things like imagination and originality, um, self-expression and uh, ways to communicate ideas and um seeing ideas that other people have in that creative way maybe a bit of vulnerability God's design and the way God created to really uh, take the opportunities to bring beauty into situations or into the world so to me creativity involves almost anything that you you are involved in you Mm. can creatively and innovatively approach every vocation in life every Task throughout the day, um, every relationship that you have.
0: Mark, creativity.
2: I think of beauty. I think of the tremendous creation around us and the inspiration that one gets from nature to create and make. And I think we're all um, a chip off the old block. You know, we're created in the image of the ultimate and most wonderful creator. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I feel he's put that within each of us. And, you know, for me, it, it comes out in, in certain ways. In my work um, as a surgeon, my passion was to restore that which was marred and twisted and deformed, you know, be it a child who was born with a cleft lip and palate or, Someone who'd had a terrible motor wreck and a, a smashed-up face, or mm. you know, or other parts of the body as well. H- here was this wonderful, grand beauty of a person that the Lord had made, that had been shattered, and I was able to take part in helping to restore it. I wish I could have got it as good as he <laughs> got it. Never quite reached that, quite but um, but I, I think you know. It, Beneath all that, there's this um, great wellspring of beauty that I believe lies within each one of us mm-hmm. that calls out to us and, and, you know, I may have been very artistic in the work I was doing, but I believe that many people are, are artistic and they don't realize it.
0: So they introduced me to a book a little while back by a Japanese man named Makato Fujimura. And the book is called Art plus Faith, A Theology of Making. Art plus Faith, A Theology of Making. This is a man who was born in Boston, went to Sweden as a little boy with his parents, then ended up in Japan. And he's, um, his home on 9-11 was right near Ground Zero. So here's an artist, who every day is looking at what was left in that space. And when I, when I think about art, when I think about what I think by art, one of the things that comes to mind is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Th- this message I have entitled God the Maker. And this idea of a th- theology of making is to, has to do with all of that if you will in the beginning God created that first verb in the scripture the first verb here means to create something out of nothing none of us do that only God does that I mean you're sitting here saying you know I came because somebody dragged me and I'm just feeling like a zero I got nothing to bring to this game and God says tremendous that's what I work with I work with nothing here is the God who creates something out of nothing. And, and Fujimara has this thought that I, had never, I have never thought of it, and that is God, he is God the artist before he is God the lecturer. He creates beauty. He does all of this before. I tend to think of the good news of Jesus as words, and it is that, but it's more than that. And so these guys talked about it. Here they are again. The essence of this book is captured in this phrase. I'm gonna say it and then I'd like you to respond to it. That God was an artist, the artist, before he was the lecturer.
1: I think part of that that I love is that he goes on to say that God did not create out of need. He didn't need us. He didn't need the world, really. He didn't need Adam. He didn't need names for the animals. He didn't need any of that. Um, so there was no, and there were no really ulterior motives to his creation. He loved us. He made us co-creators to make things that were beautiful and that were brought joy and that brought a positive um, environment into our lives. And certainly our world today could use a lot of that. Mm. People who are committed to being a force for, for beauty and for positive and for joy and for enlightening people's lives instead of just criticizing them.
0: So, artist before lecturer.
2: You know, what I love about the incredible creation is God's extravagance. You know, who would have, Mm -hmm. you know, for flowers to perpetuate themselves, who would have created such a beautiful way? He could have just made boring old brown seeds you know yeah, that sure. would fuse and be pollinated, and that's it. But I think it shows us something of the incredible generous extravagance of God. He's a God of abundance. He delights in in beauty, and I think within that beauty, there's a tremendous secret to us learning to walk with Jesus um, and His Father. We, we're surrounded by so much that is sad. We have imploding in our world every day, you know, all these images of sadness and um, that are hard. Um, and yet God shines above all that.
0: This idea of an extravagant God really touches me. I love that idea of an extravagant, generous God. And um, I've already told you that I'm not great at science, and I'm not terrific at art, what I call art. I'm not great, but I really like it. I like science, and I like art. And, and you say, well, I'm not an artist. I would challenge that. I would challenge that because all of us are artists. He's so extravagant that he makes all of us artists when we're four years old. Okay? Okay? Everybody's an artist when they're four, when they're a preschooler. If you ask a preschooler, who's an artist? Everybody raises their hand. By the time you get to sixth grade and you've sat in rows and behind desks, you ask that question, two people raise their hand because they see it as some kind of standard. Well, uh, my friend (laughs) Barb said to me last week, she said, I've never never put Lego or blocks or paints in front of a four-year-old and have them say, you know, I'm not interested. They'll always grab it, won't they? They'll always do something. So, we have art at our house. That's why I brought the bread, bread box. When he was a freshman in high school, our son, Chris, made this bread box in a, in a uh, I'll turn it over here because I want all of you to see it. I want the whole world to see the bread box, okay? And uh, he really did, I think he did quite well, you know, this got that and everything and However, he had a little problem with the saw when he was breaking this, and it threw a piece of wood all the way across the room, almost took a kid out, and he was banned from then on from the bread box. That was the end of his artistic career with bread boxes. So this is a one-off. This is what we call art that is utility. It's something that is designed. Everything's designed. Those chairs are designed. This, this code is designed. So you have but we like to design stuff that, of what we call useful, right? This is useful. This is a little wall hanging that Ruth made. This could be a baby blanket, but we had it as a wall hanging. Ruth makes tremendous quilts, all different kinds. This is one with a particular pattern. But my question to you is, what use is this? It's hanging on the wall, for Pete's sake. Well, the use is that I like to look at the patterns. Those colors are nice. I think I think it's got good design. The work that it took to do that is something pretty impressive. This I could do this for twelve seconds, and then I would just say, "Why don't I just go and do twelve other things?" Because I can't do this. So you have art that is used, useful design, and then you have art that speaks to you. As Mark was saying, we have Ruth and I are art collectors. <laughs> at our house, not like Rembrandts or anything like it. This is part of our art collection. This is our family room. About seven years ago at Christmas, everybody was together and we said, we're gonna tape this off with painter's tape and every grandkid can have one of those rectangles and do whatever you want. So Allie, who's the one up there in the corner, she's, she's now 30 and she's the mother of two. This is Emma's mom. And you you got the Golden Gate Bridge. You got the Fashionista Claire. You get down here to the last one. This is Drew. He was three. That's our Picasso down there in the corner. But that wall is an expression of the the imagination of 11 kids. There's something about that art, the way we see the world, that bubbles up in us when we see things like that. So the, the question is, how does making things in some way teach us about God, if he's God the maker and we're a chip off the old block, how does it teach us about God? Here's Mark and Barb.
1: And I do think too that as we make and as we create, as we take those sub creative roles in our lives and we actually experience those things that, that, that we do experience him mm-hmm. in a new way. Yes. We, we meet him in those places and we uh, deepen our faith and our walk with God. Um, And it's in a way that I think a lot of people, as they grow to be adults, don't take, either they don't realize that that's a possibility out there, or that this type of activity or this type of thinking will actually bring, you know, grow your faith, will actually bring you closer to God. It's sort of a foreign idea to us.
2: Perhaps that's one of the most significant contributions of art, is that good art Um, speaks of God, ultimately. He's the one who imbues us with creativity. And so good art, in a way, will draw us all back to the creator. You know, when you stand before a beautiful painting of of this artist, Fujimura, Mm -hmm. um, it's got so many layers and depths. And while you're looking at that, your imagination starts to run. And when you think about it, how do we really hear from God or talk to God? It's through our intuition and our imagination. And good art is the most tremendous way to um, open up the channels for the Holy Spirit to speak to us because it it starts to quiet the noise of our lives.
1: Don't you think too that within that, like you were alluding to, it it takes not only time, to really see those things, but it takes slowing down and listening. We don't know what that's like these days. We don't know what that's like as far as um, even just enjoying people. We just wanna kinda rush through.
0: There's something about that. And, And again, it's hard for me to think about art apart from painting or sculpting, Or music Mm -hmm. Uh, and I shouldn't I mean I I shouldn't uh, worry about that but I do need to see you know we're sitting on the porch of a lovely home here and you know how those beams are or Mm -hmm. or how the lighting is in the afternoon or all of those pieces have to do with the creativity of man that's an expression Mm -hmm. of this God who is the maker and we get to co-create yeah, with him.
1: even if it comes down to the way you've put your flowers out next to a bowl of candy or, you know, with the way you lay a table or the way you um, kind of put together a garden. Yeah. I shouldn't say, well, that really doesn't matter. Those are things that are crucial to who we are. If it was God saying that to us.
0: So in the middle of all this. David saying, You're so fearfully and wonderfully made in it. It's so wonderful. <laughs> and I, your, your thoughts, I can't even count them. There's so many. And going on right in the middle, he says, This, if only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse you. I mean, he goes off. Sometimes I do that. I'm saying God you're so wonderful. Say so, hey, you cut me off, you know, or whatever, you know, you just kind of go up and he's doing that here. There are injustices in our lives that get in the way of beauty. There are things, he juxtaposes evil in this moment, blatant evil with that. And in the midst of it all, the maker keeps on making. One of the coolest things about the maker and I'm coming in for a landing here. One of the coolest things about the maker is that he restores me. He restores me. Fujimura in the book talks about this Japanese tradition of a tea ceremony, which is central to their culture, and it, you got these delicate pots and these delicate cups, and you're doing this thing, and it, it, it speaks a lot about the culture. I don't even get it in our American culture. But, but along the way, hundreds of years ago, one of the young men serving dropped a cup and broke, and it was a, just a horrific thing for the moment, and an older man stepped in and protected him told a story, and it it saved the boy's hide, if you will. But what happened out of that is they started finding ways to put these things back together, and it's called, in Japanese, it's called kintsugi. Kin means gold, tsugi means connecting, and I, I love this part. Listen to these guys.
2: They wouldn't want to throw it away, and so they started repairing these, and, one thing, I guess, led to another, and they started repairing them more and more beautifully, eventually using lacquer with gold in it. So when you looked at a broken teacup, um, where the the shattered piece was, there'd be a filament of gold. And then sometimes they would incorporate um, pieces from another broken vessel and put them together in such a way that you ended up with... Um, a tea vessel that was more beautiful than the original one. Mm-hmm. And and I think this is a wonderful illustration of what God does with us, because we're all broken.
1: And I also love the fact that some families, because they didn't know a Kintsugi master to put these back together, would hold on to these pieces for decades, generations, really? where they kept the pieces and just held them and held on to them. And I thought sometimes God calls us to just hold our broken pieces for a while. I mean, it's not like he comes in Mm. automatically and just fixes everything up. Puts
0: the gold in there. Puts
1: the gold in there. But Mm. the fact that after the gold is put in that it's not only more beautiful for the people, but you know, who see it, Mm. but more valuable, I think says a lot about our worth.
0: So here's the God who restores, that puts gold in our life when the pieces are broken. I can't even, I can't get my head around that, but I like it now that David comes back to the end and he goes back to the beginning when he gets to the end and he says, search me God and know my heart. Well, that's where he started. You've searched me and you know me. He comes back around, he says, search me God and know me, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Anybody have an anxious thought today? know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me, broken peace, and lead me in the way everlasting. What I love about this is that God the artist makes you the artist. That God the maker does this thing. And Paul picks up on it in Ephesians, the second chapter, 2,000 years later and says it this way, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in in advance for us. One of the the, um, interpretations of handiwork is masterpiece. Have you ever thought of yourself as God's masterpiece? Well, let's do that. Quit that other thing you're thinking about yourself and say, You know what? I'm God's masterpiece. I'm not good because I'm good. I'm good because he's good. That's how that works. The God who knows and makes and still wants us and restores us. This God who restores us never stops being where we are. We had that little prayer for kevin in our kitchen who was burned so terribly and his organs were shutting down and the next morning my phone rings at 10 o'clock and it's connie clark the admiral's wife and she's weeping on the phone and said they called this morning and kevin woke up and all of his or- organs started back up and he said what happened and within two weeks he was out of the hospital and whole Here is the God who has made us fearfully and wonderfully, and we are his works of art and his co-creators. When I look out at you today, I just want you to know that I'm just looking at a ton of God's masterpieces. So there, take that. I'm trying to see you the way he sees you. And I believe he's got it right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for all of those things that bring beauty in the midst of mayhem. Let us be those people. Let us be a kind of person that when we walk into the room, peace and joy show up because of who you are as we keep our heads bowed just in the middle of this prayer I'll just say this if you're here today or online and you say you know I really identify with that broken part and I've never talked to a god I can't see but I'd like him to do that gold thing in my life if he can do it he can do it in a nanosecond so I'm going to ask that he restores me through his son Jesus in this moment. And if you're that person, I'm going to frame some words and you believe with me in your heart as I pray. Father, here I am. You know what you designed me for, and you know the way it's sort of gotten crudded up and, and broken. And I just bring my pieces to you today and ask that because of Jesus. You would make me whole and beautiful like you want me to be, deep at the core of me. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen.